This is Unaided, the brand building podcast brought to you by Leakside, a team snap company. Get ready to learn about brand marketing strategy from the experts. Here's your host, Evan Brandoff. Hello and welcome to the Windgrin podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. Today, we welcome Brian Rappaport onto the show. Brian is the founder and CEO of Quan Media Group. He has had an amazing career in advertising, specifically in out-of-home, and has a lot to share. Let's get into it. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here today. Thank you so much for coming on. Really excited for this conversation. It's always fun running into someone else from the same hometown, Jericho. Go Jayhawks. Go Jayhawks, definitely. And there's not that many people from Jericho, from my perspective, in the advertising marketing world. No, there's not. There's one other that I know of who's, who's become a good friend and she's at another agency. But yeah, not many of us. Unless your last name is Rappaport, I suppose. <laughs> that, that, that's actually true. And then you have three people in the ad industry. So. <laughs> How did you get interested in the advertising world? This was definitely not planned. I wanted to work in pro sports. I actually ran the bottom line of NBA TV for a full year out of college. So I got to pick what stats went up on the bottom ticker. So I would decide, you know, Dwight Howard averaging 15 points, 15 rebounds his last five games. And I thought that would get me into, you know, the pro sports world. I drove to Secaucus, New Jersey every day, 4 p.m. till the end of the West Coast games and would drive back to Jericho at one in the morning. And it was a temp job and it ended and it was very difficult to break into the actual NBA offices. And I had a best friend who was working at Zenith Media on the advertising side. And he was telling me, oh, this is a great job. We go to a lot of parties. It's a really fun office to work in. And we do print <laughs> advertising. We do the print advertising for Verizon. I can get you a job. And I was like, all right, well, I need a full-time job. So I'll do it. And he got me an interview. And I started at Zenith. And I kind of wasn't feeling it. And I did print advertising for two years. And they had me kind of go into the out-of-home world. And all of a sudden, I just kind of fell in love and completely forgot that I ever wanted to work in pro sports. And here I am, you know, 15 years later after working in the agency world, working in out-of-home, print sponsorships. and I'm just, you know, out of home obsessed. I love it. I love it too. What about out of home is more exciting to you than, than print? I just feel like it's, I say this delicately. I think that out of home is a channel that's never going to go away. It's only going to expand. It's going to evolve. It's going to become bigger and better. I mean, I just believe in it. I believe in it as a media channel. Personally, if I separate myself from my day job, like you walk around and you, you look at what brands stand out and how you learn about brands and how you're educated on brands. And all of that comes from out of home. Once in a while, you'll see a great Instagram ad and you'll be like, oh, this is kind of cool. I should order this. I did it the other day for my wife. I mean, it works. <laughs> but like out of home is, is incredible and you could be so creative. And I'm such a creative person. And I just love learning about brands, who they are, what they are. And then also seeing how brands kind of like one up each other with their creative execution. And I think there's no other channel in the world that allows a brand to be uber creative more than out of home. I agree. And some of the campaigns that you've been a part of you've worked on and your career has have been absolutely incredible. And I'm excited to dive into a couple of those. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a good run between Quan and then even previously before and both at Zenith. So I've had the pleasure of getting to work on some really fun brands. Yeah. So you were in print at Zenith, you transitioned to out of home. Yep. Was it love immediately and out of home? <laughs> what was it like originally? I don't think it was love immediately. It was kind of cool. I got put into the out-of-home group, quote-unquote, at Zenith because they won Sonic Drive-In as a client. And it was a massive beast of a client and it was all hands on deck. So basically, they had all of these markets that had Sonic Drive-Ins that they needed directional billboards, get off the exit here, get off the highway there. And you know they basically gave me a bunch of markets and like threw me into the fire. And I don't know, I just kind of like, I'm a competitive person. I'm like, I'm going to learn out-of-home and I'm going to be really good at it. 
And I had good leaders, good mentors that, that taught me the channel and great bosses. And it started with Sonic and it wasn't the most glamorous of an account. But then after I got that down, you know, they put me on Delta and then Caesars. And I started working on some really fun biz. And I was like, this is great. I mean, you have the right clients. You're working with the right brands. Like you, you're going to have a blast. And then it was love it first sight or second sight. <laughs> So what year was this when you transitioned to the out-of-home department? Probably I started at Zenith in November of 2007. So I'd say around 2009 and then hung around there until 2014 in all things at home. And at that point, how was Sonic and Delta, how were they measuring the impact of, of out-of-home? I think for Sonic, it was a little bit more internally in terms of like there's all these franchisees and it was more about store traffic and sales. And, you know, you have these franchisees that own like four, five, six, seven, eight Sonics and they're very, very, very rich. And that's like what they do. And I think it's really just simply about sales. I mean, for Delta, to be perfectly honest, there wasn't really a focus, at least when I was at Zenith or an emphasis on measurement at the time in Out of Home. I think back then Out of Home was still being utilized primarily as an awareness channel. And, you know, it was when you're working on brands as big as Delta, I think for them, it's just sustained awareness. It was different with Caesars because I worked on the launch of Caesars Online Gaming in New Jersey. And that's not like now with sports betting, just when like online gaming in general became legalized you know, online poker, all of that stuff. And that was like simply signups and downloads of the Caesars app. And it was a massive, massive push. It was a big push all throughout the state of New Jersey, everything from Atlantic City to, you know, Northern Jersey. And that was like a five, six month process that included taking over New York airport, taking over the highways, again, taking over AC. It was, it was crazy, but it was a blast. It was kind of awesome to be a part of. And for them, that was measuring, you know, downloads and, and who was subscribing or joining on the Caesars app and their apps. Interesting. So in a campaign like that, yeah. is is the out-of-home leading to downloads or is the out-of-home leading to more conversions on their digital part of their marketing mix? Uh, I think it's leading to downloads because it was all the same thing as you see right now with all the sports betting sites. It's like you download, you get X amount of dollars free or you get these first, you know, this first week or a certain amount of plays or slots free. You know, it was, I think, leading to downloads more so than it was you know, because of out of home, because you're seeing those offers. That the reason that I downloaded Caesars, BetMGM, you know, FanDuel, and DraftKings is because each one was offering all of this money the opening weekend that sports betting in New York became legal. It's like, oh, well, I'm just going to download all of these apps. And then whichever one has the best functionality, in my opinion, is the one that I'll just stay with once my, you know, free money is, is gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I think I have yeah. like five different sports betting apps. And it's effective. You see the promotion when you're driving down the highway and you get home and, and download it, it. Look, I don't have a sports betting client yet, but like if one of them wants to give their business to Quan, I will delete all of the other apps and solely use that app. So I'm just saying loyalty is big for me. So, Well, what's the pitch? Why should they leave whoever they're working with and come work with Quan? I don't think it's about leaving. I just think that if they're looking for a change, I don't, to be honest, I don't know where each of them are. <laughs> but if they want a little bit more personalization and if they want to work with their actual, you know, core demo, and if they want someone who loves sports and who obviously knows how to home inside and out and not just one person, a team of people, I should say. Um, yeah, they should come come work with Quan, but you know they're doing a great job, all of them, because I see them all over the place in New York. Yeah, let's get into Quan. Tell us about Quan. I mean, Quan started in July of 2019. I had no plans also on doing this. I had an incredible job at Rapport, IPG's out of home shop, and you know my job there was simply to be a group director to run the New York office with my counterpart and oversee sister IPG agencies and any out of home that came out of there. So I worked on JetBlue, Royal Caribbean, Canada Goose, Zelle, lots of fun pieces of business and. Funny thing happened. I mean, I was in the subway back in 2015 and saw Casper everywhere. And that's back when they had those awesome cartoon type creatives. And 
I was like, what is Casper? And ultimately found out it's a mattress. And I said to my boss at the time, you know, I don't know who has their out of home, but, but we should find out. And he's like, well, why don't you reach out to the CEO? So I did. I emailed Philip Krim at the time, who was a CEO. And I think Casper was maybe 50 people. And I said, hey, who's handling your out of home? We should talk because this is what we do. And he wrote me right back and was like, let's have a meeting. I'd love to learn more. And I went and I met with him. And again, Casper was probably an office of 50 people and kind of told him why you should be working with, you know, an out of home specialist. We have access to, you know, all of the media partners across the country, you know, every market inside and out. We think strategically. We look at markets holistically. You know, we can measure if you want to measure. And the next day, all he did was email me back. I really liked meeting with you. Let's work together. And I was like, wow, I just wanted a piece of business for my agency. And I'm not even a biz dev. That's not my job. So I took Casper into rapport in 2015. And that became like, quote unquote, my client, my baby. It was obviously a rapport and IPG client, but like I was working on it. And after that, I just got real hungry to win business. I'm like, let me keep doing this. So any brand I saw on the subway that I should say was not with an agency, because, you know, in the out-of-home world, who has HBO, who has Apple, I'm not going to do that and go after other people's biz. You know, I started reaching out. So I started reaching out to Daily Harvest and I reached out to FanDuel at the time. And I reached out to Finks and some of them I brought in, some of them I didn't win. And that was all fine and good. And ultimately... After two or three years of rapport, my name, I guess, got out in the growth community. And I would have people emailing me, I got your name from so-and-so, and we're looking to launch our first out-of-home campaign. Can we chat? And before I knew it, I had about 35 brands, all not always on, you know, some spending. Casper was, for the most part, always on, but others on and off. And I was bringing in all this additional revenue into rapport. And I had a lot of brands that said to me, you know, Brian, you should really start your own thing. If you start your own thing, you know, you're, you're going to be successful. There are going to be brands that want to come with you. And it took a while for me to envision what that thing was going to be and how it could be successful. And it's very scary and daunting to leave a really great job that pays you well, that, you know, you're at probably the top holding company agency out there. You have a great work-life balance. But it got to the point where if I didn't do it, then I was never going to do it. So I drew up a business plan, you know, really bounced some ideas off of people that I trusted. And Kind of took the leap in 2019 and opened up Quan as at first coming out the gate, like the D2C agency, we're going to work with only D2C brands. And, you know, if you're a D2C brand, come here. And then I realized that's going to pigeonhole myself. So it kind of evolved into this out-of-home concierge where we buy and plan out-of-home across the country and internationally. We have that white glove service, but we also mix in a little bit of automation with that personalization. We emphasize measurement. We emphasize attribution. We focus on strategy. And we just know our stuff really, really, really well. And it's kind of been an insane ride since that launch in July of 2019. Yeah. How are things going? You know, we started out the gate kind of, I don't know, flying with really no brands. And, and in fairness, and I'm pretty open about this now because time has gone by, you know, I didn't really understand what brands you could talk to and what brands you can't talk to when you leave a major company. So I had a little bit of education on that and kind of got myself in check and you know, some time went by and, and we built up our, our brand new client roster. And again, a lot of brands came and, and gave us a shot. Dagny Dover, Away, like brands that didn't have to, but did. I mean, we started to build up this nice client roster. And then some of my old friends came, you know, down the road. Brands that I'd worked with in the past that did promise me that if you start your own thing, we're going to be here. And it wasn't Casper. Casper, funny enough, had gone on to the holding company world. So it was kind of just like they, they had evolved and that was all fine and good. And 2020 came and the pandemic came and that was kind of nuts. But for me, you know, it happened at a time that, that I could afford for it to happen. And it was, you know, terrible for so many other reasons, but I have super low overhead. And, you know, I kind of pivoted to offering up brands, a more opportunistic look at out of home, you know, kind of marrying foot traffic increases and, and market recovery with opportunistic out of home opportunities. So it was almost like a working in the remnant space for a year. Um, and then last year came January and it was kind of like, 
And I should, I should backtrack. In 2020, I went and lived with my in-laws for three months in Florida when the pandemic was really, really, really bad. And I could have woken up every day and went for a run and hung out at the pool and just checked my email. But I worked every day from 8.30 to 6. Like it was normal timing. And I sent emails and I called and I networked and I introduced myself to new brands, all of whom were like, we're not running out of home now for obvious reasons, but we're interested. And 2021 was the payoff for what I did in 2020 because second January, the calendar turned to January, brands just, they were ready. You know, the, the, the vaccine was starting to trickle out and they were just ready to go. And we did six times the amount of business that we did in 2020, obviously, um, in 2021. And we're on pace to hopefully double that this year, which is kind of nuts. We're now, myself and three others, who I know very well, we're probably going to have to hire again soon. And the brands that we work with range from, you know, brands I had mentioned, Fresh Direct, Zell, GoPuff, Daily Harvest, to Casper. Funny enough, full circle moment, we're working with them again. It's really public.com. It's, it's incredible the brands that we have the opportunity and are fortunate enough to work with. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I know we have seen it at, at leaks and I'm, I'm sure the value proposition of being able to connect with people in real life outside <laughs> has been tremendous as, as things opened back up in 2021 and people got out. I think, yeah, I mean, that definitely, there was a lot of pent up energy from brands. And I think it was great, not just for Bond, but for our whole industry. You know, anytime that I you know, try and do some press or publicity. It, you obviously always want to tell your agency and what you're doing. And I say agency when I'm quote unquote anti-agency, but you know, I think it's just amazing for the out-of-home industry. It's just been such a nice recovery. And my friends on the sales side and my counterparts on the buying side, like we all really deserve it. We, we, we waited a while for things to kind of be reset. And it's just kind of like a renaissance for out-of-home. And there's so much business out there to be had where like People don't have to be battling each other for it. It's kind of, there's so many brands within the same category. It's it's unbelievable. And for us, it's great because we're not budget prejudiced. We work with brands that want to test out a home and they have 25, 50K. And then we work with brands that have 5 million and they want to blanket cities. And for us, each brand is the same. We treat them the exact same way. So when you mention quote unquote anti-agency. Yeah. What is the definition of an agency and what makes Quan different than an agency? It's a good question. I mean, look, I think that there's a strong need for holding companies and large agencies. You're a major brand and you need all of your media in one place. You need to be able to have everything from, you know, creative to broadcast to OTT, every, everything. And that's to me an agency, you know, hundreds of people, you do every single channel in the world, strategy, creative, and one major, you know, house. And I get that. For us, there's no rules. I think at a bigger agency, like, I should say, like, if you work an out-of-home and you're an out-of-home specialist, that's all you can do. If you wanted to bring a sponsorship opportunity to a brand, you know, there's an amazing opportunity to be a sponsor of Governor's Bowl in New York City. And it involves digital and it involves, you know, broadcast or whatever the case is. You have to get all of these other specialist groups involved. And it's going to take forever to get that ironed out, to get legal, to approve terms and conditions. It's going to be take such a long time. And we turned around a sponsorship opportunity for Zell literally in three weeks this year for Shaky D's Music Festival in Atlanta. And it just was like, we were able to move quickly, we're flexible, we're nimble. And we just, we act based on our client speed. I've had a client call me on a Saturday night telling me they want to do this amazing stunt in Times Square on that Monday. And they have that screen ready to go on Monday. Like, that's just how we are. It's, it's what can we do to kind of like really show off that, that we're not an agency and we're more of a concierge. It's like, Come to us. You want to be on one screen in Times Square tomorrow. We'll make it happen. Or come to us. You want to be in five markets and focus on this core demographic. We'll build you a strategic plan with, you know, a measurement component. So we really do do it all. And we don't have any boundaries or guidelines as to what we can bring to, to our brands. Speaking to that term concierge, one of your superpowers yeah. is your responsiveness. Yeah. I think there have been times that you responded before I even hit send on a text or an email. <laughs> So I think the question that we're all wondering is, 
who's responding to our messages? Is it you? It is me. <laughs> I don't know if it's a mixture of like neuroses or how I've been wired. And to be fair, I didn't start doing this when I opened up my own shop. I was like this before. I was like this at Zenith. I don't know. The simplistic, like corny first thing that I'm going to say is that like, it's kind of how it's brought up to just respect people. And I believe that people send you an email unless it's like auto, a bot or generated, like you should respond right away. But there's that sense of like knowing that that someone is on top of your brand from a client's standpoint that like when a client, I had a client literally two days ago at 1030 at night, text me about aerial banners. And I was laying in bed watching TV. I can guarantee you, and this is not trashing anyone else, nine out of maybe 10 other people in doing what I do, probably not respond and wait till the morning. As they should, it's 1030 at night. That's just not how I am. The client was so happy. They got what they needed. I was able to answer it on the spot. And like, that's just how, how I'm wired. Whether somebody texts me for a business related question or whether, you know, a media partner emails me and says, Hey, I have this new offering, blah, blah, blah. They will hear from me within minutes, unless I am playing pickup basketball or I'm sleeping or I'm on the Peloton or I'm on a call. That's just how I'm wired. And, and I think it's something that really does set myself, but also sets Quan apart because you know, my team is kind of like that. They may not be as quick because I'm a little bit nuts, but they are in the same zone as I am. Yeah, it's impressive. I love it. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Going back to something you said a little bit earlier that I found really interesting is you became a big name in the growth community. Yeah. And I think a lot of people associate growth, especially when hiring a growth manager with yeah. data analytics, mm-hmm. growth digital campaigns, while it seems like so many of the incredible brands you work with, it's because they're growing like crazy. And and therefore, yeah. So how should out of home play into a company's growth strategy? I mean, I think in the past, like for for newer or or quote unquote challenger brands, it was a secondary and even third channel they return to. And now a lot of them are looking at it as a launch tactic, as it should. I mean, it should be a launch tactic out of home it's not just an awareness play. And like, yes, on the measurement side, there's still some things that need to be figured out in the world about of home. And I think that there's multiple partners that are doing a good job of, of getting us to where we need to be. But I think that out of home now can be super granular. It's very hyper-local. When you take into account digital and programmatic, you can get really focused in on a certain audience and a core demo. Why not turn to out of home? Other channels are super expensive. You don't know what's going on with fraud, et cetera. And like, it's different with, with out of home. Like if you want to be in a certain market or in a certain place, like there is something that will put your brand there or amplify your brand a lot better than what your other channels would do. And I'm trying very hard not to trash other channels because I have friends on the channel. So you got it. Yeah. And speaking to that, like, is there any data to suggest? I'm sure in, in an ideal world, it would be great if a brand spent 100% on, on out of home. Right. That said, is there an ideal media marketing mix? What percent of a marketing budget should be on out of home? I mean, I don't know if there's really a percent. I just think that out of home works really well in tandem with other channels. So like out of home and mobile or out of home and digital has been known to obviously increase recall, increase lift X percent. I don't have it in front of me, but they do very well together, those channels. And I think that like brands that want to utilize out of home, they can't skimp on the budget. I think that there's a way, and I'm a believer, I say it all the time, you don't need to spend a ton out of home to see success, but you can't look at out of home. I've run into a few situations and it's been very minimal, but two or three brands we've worked with where the client has been so focused at looking at out of home that they look at other channels, measuring every single impression, every conversion. Well, we tested in this market and you said that this board has 450,000 weekly impressions, you know, age 25 to 54, but it says when we measured, you know, that there's only... 200,000 conversion or exposures. And it's wrong. Put that on the side. Like you have to understand what you're getting into with out of home. 
you, you need to understand the audience that you're looking to reach and what you're trying to do. And obviously when allocate the budget you feel most comfortable and measure internally and then measure externally, like have something on your side, the brand side that will help you understand if it worked and then turn to us to come up with like a secondary measurement tack that can kind of help complement that. And it could be as simple as like a vanity URL or a call to action, but like, even if it's like a checkout survey, how did you hear about us? Billboards, out of home, like something. But those brands that look at out of home the same exact way that they kind of look at other channels, they're gonna, they're not gonna appreciate or see success, you know, or what they want to say, I should say. Yeah. Another thing you said, which I found really interesting, I understand a lot of your business comes from referrals, which is a testament to the amazing work you do and, and your team does. But I loved the fact that you reached out to the CEO at Casper to land yeah. that. When you are doing outreach, whenever that may be, is the strategy always to go to someone in the C-level? No, I don't do a ton of cold outreach, maybe two or three emails a day. And it's brands I'm dying to work with. And I get a lot more no's than I get yeses, or I should say a lot more no responses. But for me, it's kind of like, why should that brand give me the time of day? What can I offer that brand? You know, one of the people that I admire most, I think, in the growth and marketing world is Nick Sharma. And Nick is a friend and also just a fantastic person and somebody to to really follow. But like he put out a whole thread on Twitter about how to write the proper cold email. And I've taken some of his tips, but also I believe in personalization and understanding who you're speaking to. And that's kind of what helps me go after who I reach out to for a specific brand. Sometimes it's a CEO, sometimes it's a founder, sometimes it's a celebrity. So yeah. yeah. And it's funny because I have reached out to, I guess I would say two business celebrities and I've gotten one not great response and I've gotten one awesome response. So you kind of <laughs> live and you learn. Yeah. <laughs> can you tell us about the awesome response? Yeah, I definitely can because it's kind of fresh. I, I'm a massive fan of people that build things on their own and build things from scratch. And I was at a Nets game maybe about two months ago. I'm a Knicks fan, but I was at a Nets game and I'm an NBA fan and had the fortune of sitting courtside with a good friend of mine. And when I was sitting courtside, a few seats down was Rich Kleiman, who if you look up Rich's story is fantastic. He is uber successful. Him and Kevin Durant have formed 35 Ventures. They invest in a ton of amazing companies and brands. And then they also have a media company boardroom. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I wasn't going to approach Rich because from just the human standpoint, you're at a game, you're enjoying yourself. Like, I'm not going to go over there and, and introduce myself, kind of time and place. But I did say to myself on the way out, I should email him because boardroom should be doing some sort of out of home. They have awesome podcasts and, and all of this other, you know, material. And then, you know, maybe some of the brands that Rich works with or invests in will ultimately need to do out of home. And, you know, he needs to get in touch with, with an out of home guy. So I sent him an email. I found his email address and I kind of really simplified what I did. I said, I'm a billboard guy. Everyone needs a billboard guy. And I hate dumbing down what I do because we're so much more than that. But out of home is such a weird niche world that you kind of sometimes just have to put it in black and white. And that was it. You know, I told Rich what a fan I was at Boardroom and what they've done and the brands that he invests in. And within minutes, he wrote back to me, great timing. I really have been looking for a billboard. Let's talk. And I got on the phone with Rich that day at 1230. And he was the nicest, most genuine down to earth person I'd spoken to. He asked me about my business, why I'm an out of home, what Quan is about what brands we work with, what it makes sense to do in the world of out of home. And long story short, Rich introduced me to his GM that he works with, who is also a great guy. And we went back and forth and there was this unbelievable placement outside Barclays Center. It is a huge Lamar board that spans the length of a block. And you see it when you come up from Atlantic Avenue Station, you see it when you're entering Barclays. As an out of home nerd, it's one of my favorite, most underrated placements in the New York DMA. And it was free, it was like available. And Lamar happened to give a pretty great deal because you know they didn't have anyone on it on the, at the time, which is insane to me. And I immediately brought it to boardroom. And we went back and forth and brought them a bunch of different options in the area of Barclays, but then also in New York City. And we kind of discussed what they wanted to do as a company. And they ended up taking the board outside of Barclays and they're on it right now through April. And it's a no brainer placement in my opinion. It's contextual. I mean, you have KD up on there. It touts the brand. 
obviously it's their audience. It's KD's home. They're going to be there through the whole next stretch run as they head into the playoffs, potentially through the playoffs and finals. And it's just, that's it. Out of home could be as simple as one smart contextual placement, or it could be taking over a city. But to me, like that meant everything. You know, the fact that, that Rich got back to me, the fact that we were able to have a conversation, the fact that they pulled the trigger and were smart and gave out of home a shot. There were so many good things about it. We brought in a brand that had never spent it out of home into the out of home world. Who knows what this means for them long-term. They're obviously connected to so many other brands and they have such great talent that works for them. And that's a win in my book. It's not about us making money as an agency or any of that. It's just about almost me geeking out as a human being. And it's someone that I, a brand that I personally love and I'm a big basketball fan. And I was like, look, I went ahead and I did that, that Portland placement. So, yeah. So I'm sure the answer to this is it depends, but how much does a placement like that, a a block long billboard by Barclays Center cost? I mean, it really does depend that I want to be fair to Lamar because they're great partners of ours and they obviously gave us a great deal. It was just time and place, but something like that is, is close to hundred K for a month as it should be. And Sometimes it's just luck with a draw. We're not in pandemic timing anymore. Out-of-home rates are pretty much back to what it was in January of 2020, as they should be. You cannot find a board in Soho right now for the life of you. And we got a great deal on that. There was no one there and we got them to move rather quickly. But something like that is 100K. And if you're able to save a brand 30, 40% off, like, and it makes sense for that brand, you got to move. You can't count pennies, you know, unless budget's really something big to you. And the brands that take chances and that hop on opportunistic things, you know, those are the brands that end up winning. And I think that we do that better than anyone else. If someone's like, why, you know, why Quan? What are some of the things you do great? Like all of my counterparts in the independent out-of-home specialist world are fantastic. But like, I, I think at this point, our media partners know if there's something opportunistic that makes sense, send it to us because we will bring it to the exact client we think it makes sense for. And I would say eight times out of 10, we'll get them to buy it. We've had boards that have come to us that have opened up in two weeks. And I'm like, oh my God, that makes perfect sense for the brand spoiled child. Or that makes perfect sense for Fresh Direct or Casper or Daily Harvest. And they're on it in two weeks. And if no offense to our friends in the media partner side, if someone's like, here's a great billboard in Las Vegas, we'll give it to you for $1,500. We need someone up on there. Odds are, I'm just going to be like, this is in a fifth right now. Because I'm not going to waste my client's time with something that doesn't align with the brand. And I'm not going to waste my time. And I'm not going to waste my media partner's time. I'm just going to be like, nah. But if a partner comes to us and says, here's every link screen in New York City that is outside a sports bar for the two weeks of March Madness, I'm going to say, that's genius. I'm now going to go ahead and I'm going to go call up, you know, a handful of brands that I think this aligns with. And they could build out a hyper-local, smart, targeted plan in New York City that's going to get them on every link outside of sports bars when all mask mandates have been lifted. People want to go out and party during like the most fun sports, you know, stretch in a while. And it's going to get a brand great exposure. So that's kind of how we think. It's a long-winded answer as to how much a board like that costs. But yeah, it kind of spins into like thinking opportunistically in the world of better one. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think something that you do really well is building your personal brand. You're active on LinkedIn. It's quality content. It's real. It's vulnerable. You too, by the way, though, because you're Thank a you. great follow also. Thank you. Why do you invest time into building your personal brand? I mean, obviously, LinkedIn's going to connect you to some great people. And I think it's a very valuable tool and not enough people use it. And I've been introduced to brands that way and got business that way. For me, it's kind of like you learn and then you also can help educate. I don't know. I'm just the type of person that that's very blunt and that's not afraid to share things. And everything I put on LinkedIn is genuine. It may come off as cheesy and corny and I'm super self-aware and I get it. But, you know, if it's around Mother's Day and I do a post on my mom and how she was a single mom and raised three boys and like, that's genuine. And then that's just how I feel. Or if it was yesterday, like International Women's Day, and I'm speaking about Ashley Mole, who works with me, not even for me. And I've worked with Ash for five, six years. And like, 
that's how I feel about somebody. And I think that when you're genuine, it, it just, I don't know, it kind of shows the type of person you are. And obviously people want to work with you based on like your work ethic and understand and doing what you do well in, in that whole industry thing. But like as a human being and as a person, that also plays a very important role. And I don't know, for me, I'm like LinkedIn, you have people that are like posting personal stuff, like pictures of their car. And these are like, like just crazy things that should be more on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm like, I'm not like anal like that, but it's kind of that that doesn't benefit others in your industry or others in like your network. I feel like you should kind of post things that not only like speak well about yourself and who you are, but also can help other people or, or, or your network. So I don't know, LinkedIn's super valuable. Sometimes I'll go quiet for a week and a half because I won't have anything to say and I don't want to force it. And sometimes I'll post four days in a row. It just kind of depends on, on you know, how I feel. Yeah, well, keep it coming and follow yeah, Brian on LinkedIn. Thank you. It's a good follow. I appreciate it. What's next for Quan? Any exciting campaigns coming up? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> we, have, we have a lot. I mean, we're definitely growing. I mean, I'd love to have a West Coast LA office. That's definitely sooner than later. We're working internationally. We helped launch an incredible campaign for GoPuff in London. Credit also to Ashley Mole, who works for me and lives in, in London. So that was kind of like, we got people on the ground overseas in the UK who was able to help make that happen. We do have some really incredible brands that we're working with. I mean, I mentioned GoPuff all the time. The opportunity, and to be fair, like, you know, we work with them on a pretty loose basis. Like we're not exclusive, none of that stuff. Like, but I just love the brand so much and have followed them for so long. And we get to help them here and there with certain campaigns. And they tend to do really fun, outside the box things in the world of out of home. So I'm excited to keep working with them as they kind of conquer market by market. And everyone should download that app because it's a game changer if it's available in Europe. City. You know, we've continued to work with public.com, which is fantastic. They do great things. Speaking locally, Fresh Direct is celebrating their 20th anniversary. They have some really fun non-traditional things in store for the year ahead. They're, you know, kind of New York focused. So if you're in other markets, you may not know them or use them, but they have been a legacy out of home brand and they're fantastic. So really excited about that. I mean, we're up for three OB awards at the Geopath conference this May. So that's kind of exciting. It's the first time we've been up for awards. And what I really love about that is that they all involve different partners. They're not like Quan based. So like one of them is Traeger Grills and what we did with Farm to Traeger, building a farm underneath a billboard. And that was in collaboration with Zambezi, who's an insanely talented partner of ours and gave us an opportunity to help them out. And at the same time, Alpha Foods and what they did with chicken inflation and taking over the NASDAQ screen. And that is testament to mischief at no fixed address, which is by far one of the most innovative shops out there. And they are utterly fantastic. So, you know, just two of the most incredible campaigns and then thinks and what they did with period worries on a painted wall in Brooklyn, along with projection mapping. So it's, it's exciting to kind of get the opportunity to kind of celebrate ourselves and the work that we've done and our partners have given us the opportunity to do. And it all ties into people giving us a shot and, you know, references and great things like that. So we have a lot of other stuff coming up, getting to work with a lot of fun beverage brands, Finished Long Drink, which is co-founded by Miles Teller, Kygo, and Ricky Fowler. So that's exciting. June Shine, which has done an amazing job over the past few years, Hard Kombucha, and then some. They've launched some new products. So check them out. And yeah, I mean, it's amazing. We get brands that come in daily. Some I know, and I can't believe they're reaching out to us. Some I haven't heard of. And then a year from now, they're like blowing up. So that's why you kind of work with any brand, regardless of their budget. We just want to be there. And I also love Trough, another one that we got some good stuff coming up with later this year. So Amazing. Well, yeah. it's been fun and inspiring watching you build Quan. And Thank you. Thank you. Tracking all the success you've had in your career. And before I let you go, we've got the lightning yeah. round. Yeah, let's do it. So it's four it. questions. Got two minutes to answer all four. So first thing that comes to mind. All right. First question. Favorite youth sports memory? I think falling in love with basketball. My dad coached me for Roslyn Booster Basketball before I moved to Jericho. I was never an athletic kid. You know, tried Little League, didn't really love it. Tried one year of basketball, didn't love it. And then all of a sudden, my dad took me to a Knicks game. 
saw Patrick Ewing, saw Doc Rivers, came back, really got into basketball, and that was it. I'm 38 years old. I play pickup four days a week. It all stems from Rosalind Booster. I love it. Yeah. Nice. Where can people find you on pickup court? <laughs> people can find me at Equinox 61st Street on the Upper East Side. Let me tell you something. You find somebody that can grab offensive rebounds like me, bring them to me. I don't think so. So <laughs> uh, that, that's my, the one thing I do well. I can't dribble, can't really shoot, but I can no reap. So love it. Yeah. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Two, I think two prong. I think one, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be famous in the spotlight to be a little bit, as I got older, to be a little bit more realistic, definitely from a sports announcer, broadcaster, and then realizing that maybe that wasn't the right path into professional sports marketing and PR. Um, and obviously that transpired into out of home, but those, you know, being an actor and then working in pro sports kind of were, were one-on-one. What is a brand whose marketing you admire most? I think right now, ClickUp. Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I've seen ClickUp everywhere. I was in Austin, Boston City Limits, ClickUp all over the place. And driving back from New Jersey into the city, ClickUp on a huge billboard coming into the Lincoln Tunnel. They've done a fantastic job of introducing themselves all over you know, the country. I think, to be fair, ClickUp, a brand that I don't work with, and then a brand that I do work with is GoPuff because they have the brand identity down, they got the colors down, their creative is witty and funny, and they know how to take advantage of great cultural moments in the markets they want to be in, also kind of introduce themselves to a market when they're you know, kind of launching there. So ClickUp for the brand that I would love to work with, but also uh, that I admire, and then GoPuff for the brand that I am fortunate to work with. Love it. And then finally, what is a go-to cause that you like to support? Uh, good question. There's a lot out there. I think that anything really around mental health, I think is important and there's not enough attention paid to it. At the same time, suicide prevention too. I fortunately don't have anyone close, close that I've lost to that, but peripherally, you know, I've heard some really sad and upsetting stories of people. And I think that there's not enough attention paid to suicide and mental health and that mental health isn't, you know, focused on enough, especially in the corporate world and the professional world. And that kind of extends to pro sports. And there's been some really courageous athletes that have spoken out about mental health. And at the same time, another person that's fantastic about it is Alex Lieberman, one of the founders of Morning Brew. He does a great job of shedding light on that. So definitely, I'd say mental health. I love it. Yeah. Well, So just not to end on a talk about suicide, one <laughs> yeah, last question for you. How did you come up with the name Quan? Easy answer. I was on a flight thinking about my business plan and I was watching Jerry Maguire and I love that Quan in that movie really means everything. It's not just one thing. It's the money. It's a family. It's a happiness. It's success. And I couldn't trademark Quan for obvious reasons. So I had to throw the media group in there. But um, it just stuck. I asked a few people. And why come up with cliche you know, agency name that's too scientific or sounds too agency-esque? Quan, there's no Q in the out-of-home world. So now there is. Um, and I love it. So, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No, thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Windgrin Podcast with Brian Rappaport. As a recap, we discussed Brian's incredible journey from statistician at NBA TV to founder and CEO of Quan Media Group, the importance of out-of-home in a media marketing mix, and how Quan is changing the out-of-home game. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Evan Brandoff. See you next time. Play on, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating at leagueside.com slash podcast. For more educational and inspiring content, you can follow Leagueside on LinkedIn and Instagram at leagueside underscore. See you next time.